So I do not want any of you to be everyday Christians, run of the mill, average, just getting by. That's not what I want as your pastor. That's not what I want for you as your friend. That's not what I want for you as a brother or, or you know, as a brother in Christ. Uh, because here's the thing about a lot of Christians in the world today. A lot of Christians in the world today are just fine when things are going well. But their roots don't go down deep enough to weather a drought. Uh, they're not going to stay rooted when the storm winds start blowing. Uh, they're going to be in trouble. If things go south, for far too many people that fill our churches today, they just won't survive that. And Jesus has told us how important it is for us to remain in him, to abide in him, that our roots would go down deep, that we would be able to weather those storms. That's why we're kicking off this year uh, in this series by talking about the antidote to becoming an everyday Christian, and that is living everyday Christianity. Living out normative Christianity that is taught to us by Paul and to the early church about how we should live our lives and what that should look like when we are living out our faith on a daily basis. By focusing on living out the biblical teaching of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, it will keep us from being average. It will prevent us from slipping into spiritual mediocrity. Uh, it will push us forward into the life that Jesus promised us when he said in John 10, 10, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, what is that? A life that is more abundant, a life to the full. That's the kind of life that Jesus promised us. And that's the kind of life that he came to bring us. And in order to experience that life, we have to live everyday Christianity. We can't have a haphazard approach to our faith. We can't be on again, off again. We can't just mail it in and expect to have that rich and satisfying life that Jesus promised us. So last week we started through Paul's teaching to the church in Philippi, and we talked about the non-negotiable discipline of regular and deep reading of the Bible. Uh, this is not optional for a follower of Jesus. Reading the Bible is not optional. It is mandated for us. It is the primary way that God communicates to us. It keeps us on the right path. It protects us. It guards us. It provides for us. It grows us. It transforms us. And most importantly, it brings glory to Jesus as we become more like him and as we live it out. We need to be reading God's word. That's why we're doing the reading plan. I preached about that last week. I don't need to preach about it again. But we're continuing to read Paul's letter this week. So let's look at Philippians chapter 4 and let's focus on verses 2 and 3 today. Now I appeal to Euodia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women. For they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. So interesting section of scripture here. Now, first of all, who were these two women? Uh, all that we know about them is what we find in these two verses. This is where they're referenced in scripture. 
But even though there's not much said about them here, there's more that we can know about them uh, if we kind of read between the lines. For one thing, we know their names. Uh, one of them was named Euodia, and that means prosperous or successful. Uh, the other was named Syntyche, and she too had a name filled with meaning, which means fortunate or lucky. So both of them had very positive names, and maybe went like a magnet when you have two positive forces, they repel each other. But there's a problem here, okay? So we know where they come from. Uh, they were Macedonians. Uh, they were Gentile women who lived in the city of Philippi. And now this next part, this is pure speculation on my part. So please, sometimes I like to just look at different parts of scripture and see if we can make a connection between them. But this is not stated overtly in scripture. This is just conjecture on my part. But we can read that when Paul and Silas first came to the city of Philippi, okay, when they first went there on their missionary journey, Acts 16, 13 tells us that they went to the river where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. Okay, that's why they went to the river, because they wanted to be where people were gathering to pray. And these folks were most likely Greeks who had converted to Judaism. And we're told that Paul and Silas, this is what scripture says, they sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. And they shared the gospel with them. Euodia and Syntyche were obviously in positions of high importance in the ministry of the church in Philippi. Uh, the referenced here, Paul says they were co-laborers with him. And I wonder if they were part of that group of women that Paul and Silas met with early on when they first went to the city of Philippi and preached the gospel. Were they some of the first, you know, converts uh, that gave their heart to Christ and said, hey, we're in, let's do this. Now, the third thing we know is that these two women were strong and faithful followers of Jesus. Uh, they, they were women that Paul regarded pretty highly as those who had worked alongside him uh, in his work of the gospel. So he was very uh, complimentary of these two ladies with regard to their ability in ministry. They were among those whose names, according to Paul, were written in the book of life. Uh, so in other words, they were believers. Uh, they, were, they were saved and they were key figures in the life of the church there in Philippi. So that's some of the things that we can know background wise on Euodia and Syntyche. But clearly, something was wrong. Something is off here. And these two important and ministry-minded ladies were at odds with one another. They were not getting along. And we don't know why. It could be that they disagreed with each other over some nuance of doctrine and they just dug in their heels. Uh, it might have been that they didn't agree with each other on how certain ministries should be conducted and they were public about their disagreement in that. Uh, it could have been something personal that became a massive issue between the two of them. Just because there are two people that love Jesus doesn't mean there's never going to be disagreement between them. You know, you probably have friends, you know, that are Christ followers that you've had disagreements with over the years. It happens. We're not told just exactly what the issue was here or how it came about. And maybe that's intentional on Paul's part. He doesn't need to air their dirty laundry uh, in this public letter. The source of the disagreement isn't nearly as important as the outcome of their disagreement. It was causing problems in the church. This was not compartmentalized. It never is. It affects people around you. Uh, the church was not as effective as it needed to be. And here's an important truth. When a church doesn't have unity, it loses its effectiveness. 
When a church doesn't have unity, it loses its effectiveness. <clears throat> now, every time I preach on a passage like this, I get people thinking, um, who is he talking about? Who's got issues that Pastor Jeff is preaching this kind of message? You know, you always have people that start to think, you're like, oh, I saw them and that, you know, they don't seem to be getting along. There's no issue, people. I'm not targeting someone with my sermon. I learned a long time ago, preaching your problems is never a real good idea. Um, if there were two people in the church that I felt needed to work out their problems, I would go to those two people and I would have a conversation. Uh, this type of message doesn't necessarily target something specific that's going on, at least none that I know of. Uh, when you preach through a passage of scripture like we're doing in Philippians 4 right now, you take what the Holy Spirit brings you. And we preached on verse one last week. We're preaching on verses two and three this week. Sometimes we get a message as a reminder of what God has done in the past. Sometimes it's in preparation for what will happen in the future. And sometimes it's about something that's going on right now. But we need to just remember that all scripture is valuable. All scripture is breathed out by God and it is useful for teaching, it's useful for correcting, it trains us in righteousness. The word of God is valuable, and so we're gonna cover it. And uh, the principle of healthy relationships uh, and preserving unity in the body of Christ is one that runs all throughout scripture. So this is a common theme in God's word. But as we look at this specific disagreement that is mentioned here between these two ladies, the relationship between these two women was being hurt by it, obviously. And to make it worse, their disagreement was hurting the rest of the church and its reputation. Relational fallout does not just affect you. It was making things hard for everyone. In fact, Paul had even heard about this in Rome. Paul had heard about these ladies' disagreement in Rome. And he wrote the letter to the Philippians partly to help deal with this problem and to push these two women to overcome the barrier it was creating in their relationship with each other. And here's what you understand. They needed to work out their differences so they could get back to work. You know, and the same thing is true for the church. We need to work out our differences when there are issues, when there are problems, when there are things that, that are standing in the way. We need to work out those differences when they exist so we can get back to work and do the work that God has called us to do. That same thing holds true for the church today. The mission is too important for it to be sidelined by differences of opinion or differences of personality. And I think there's an important principle here that often gets overlooked. Uh, we think that relational problems just affect us. It's just my issue or maybe just you and that other person. And if we're public with that conflict, maybe a few people around us. But Jesus taught us that the problems in relationships are a lot more serious than that, even though those things that I just mentioned should be enough for us to get things right. I want you to listen to this in Matthew 6. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, let me tell you, now those conflicts, relational conflicts, maybe petty differences that we're holding a grudge, we've got this root of bitterness that's taking root in our lives, we've got 
you know, these deep-seated, deep-rooted issues that we're not willing to let go of, we're not willing to forgive and move on, we're not willing to practice what we preach, now it is affecting our relationship with God. It teaches us that if your horizontal relationships are not right, it will hinder your relationship with God. The vertical is influenced by the horizontal. And we can't, we cannot afford to have anything getting in the way or negatively affecting our relationship with God. We just cannot have that. If there is anything that is affecting our relationship with God, it has to go. If there's anything that's holding us back in growing closer to Jesus and becoming the person that he designed us to be, it needs to be thrown away. It needs to be cast aside. And if that's your pride, it needs to go. If that's bitterness, it needs to go. If that's conflict, it needs to be dealt with. We need our roots as deep as we can get them to grow. We've got to have a vibrant and healthy and life-giving relationship with Jesus and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I believe now more than ever, we need that. Why now? I don't think I need to take time this morning to convince anyone that we're living in unique times. I think we are all aware enough, both spiritually, culturally, politically, relationally, I think we're all pretty aware enough to know that we are living in unique days, church. These are difficult times. We've got a global pandemic. We've got a nation that is ripping itself apart from the inside. We've got increasing social, political, and cultural pressures that are making living for Jesus out loud more and more challenging. We have got issues that we're wrestling with. And at this point, things are definitely not trending upward, are they? They're not going in a healthy, positive direction. And I really feel in my spirit, I feel it so strongly, church, that we are in for a rough stretch of road. I think we're in for a rough stretch of road ahead of us. And that's not being pessimistic. I'm just saying, I really believe, as I've spent time with the Lord in prayer, as I've read scriptures, as I've listened to other godly people that I respect, I believe we're in for a rough patch of road ahead of us, church. This 21 days of prayer and fasting could not come at a more important time. Please join us for prayer every day that you can and prayerfully consider joining us in committing yourself to fasting. There is power in corporately humbling ourselves and submitting to God and seeking him. And I'm excited we get, we get to do this together and we get to pursue him with hunger and with intensity. And I believe it's going to yield incredible fruit as we pursue God together. Now, let me pull back the curtain for a second here on, on this message. I had a different message planned for today. Uh, I was ready to talk about relationship conflict, how to resolve that biblically. And I think it's an important topic to talk about. I think we all need to know how to forgive and move forward as God intended. And I'll probably come back to that at some point. But as I prayed about today and really sought God about this, the Holy Spirit kept pushing me in a different direction about where we should go. So we're gonna focus on where he wants us to go today for the rest of the time as opposed to the direction I had originally intended for us to go. And it does start with this text because that whole concept of our horizontal relationships can get in the way and inhibit our vertical relationships I think is a very important framework, a very important precursor to what we're talking about. Um, that we've gotta make sure that these relationships are good 
and don't sidetrack our most important relationship. We can't let anything get in the way of our walk with God or his mission that he's called us to live out as a church. And as I continued to pray about this message, God led me in a new direction. And I want to help us understand what the Bible has to say about how to stay strong in the middle of a spiritual war. And healthy relationships are at the core of that. Because we stand strong, first of all, rooted in our relationship with him, but also locking arms with one another as the church. That is where our strength is found. Because a spiritual war is exactly what we are in the middle of. We look around and we see conservative versus liberal. We see Democrats versus Republicans. We see mainstream media. We see social media. We see viruses. We see shootings. We see all sorts of other chaos going on around us. And we could look at all of that and see that as the problem, that that's what needs to be fixed. But the war around us is not physical. The war around us is spiritual, and we can never forget that. Ephesians 6.12 says, We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And lest we forget, and lest we just chalk it up to, to movies and other stuff, the spiritual realm is real, and that spiritual war is happening. And we are caught in the middle of it. We are right in the crossfire of this spiritual war that is taking place between heaven and hell. That is the battleground. And what we see around us are just repercussions of this spiritual war that is taking place. The spiritual realm is where this is won or lost. That's where this has already been won by Christ on the cross. So here's a few thoughts on how we face these challenges head on as we move forward. Ephesians 6.12 talked about the spiritual battle that's taking place. Ephesians 6.14 gives us some guidance. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor or the breastplate of God's righteousness. Here's the thing. Problems are going to come. Read through scripture. Read Matthew 24. Matthew 24. You want to see what things are eventually going to look like? Matthew 24 will give you a clear picture. Problems are going to come. We're going to live in difficult times. Scripture is filled all throughout history of heroes of the faith who endured difficult situations. We are not unique in that we're facing adversity as God followers. Okay, that's not unique to us. We don't have a corner on the market on adversity in our spiritual journey, in our faith story. That's not unique to us. But I do believe that every time, every era is unique in what those challenges look like. And I believe, and, and obviously scripture you know, supports this, as we move forward, we're moving closer and closer to the end, to the return of Christ, to the end times that the Bible describes. And we need to be prepared for when that comes. But people throughout scripture, it is filled with, with heroes of the faith whose lives were threatened, who dealt with adversity every step of the way. And here's what Paul teaches us here in Ephesians. Don't run. Don't cower in fear. Don't hide. We're not called to retreat. We're not called to attack either. So what do we do? Stand your ground. 
Don't give in. Don't yield. Don't give up. And Paul reminds us that God's truth, the belt of truth, and God's righteousness, I love that phrase, the body armor of God's righteousness, God's righteousness are our protection as we stand our ground. His truth and his righteousness protect us as we stand our ground against the enemy. And as the church, here's what's even cooler, we stand together. We're like a phalanx. We, we stand together and our shields interlock and we, as the enemy comes, we are protected by one another as well as by Christ. Side by side, back to back, we protect each other, we encourage each other, we strengthen one another because we are stronger together than we are alone. Don't ever forget that, church, and don't ever isolate yourself. And, and I understand it's different right now because we're online and we're not gathering in person on a regular basis. And I want to encourage you, seek out those relationships with your church family. If you're not in a neighborhood group yet, get in a neighborhood group. Uh, the Perino's neighborhood group starts up tomorrow. And so if you're, if you're looking for a neighborhood group, Mark and Roxanne would love to have you reach out to one of them and say, hey, what are the details? I'd love to join that. We'd love to have you jump in in one of our neighborhood groups. Uh, Pastor Kenneth and Terry, they do an online group every Thursday that you can join as part of a neighborhood group. These small pockets of community and support are so critical for us. And so get into a neighborhood group and find that community. We are stronger together than we are alone. And why is it important for us to stand our ground? Well, first of all, the Bible tells us to, okay? And not just in Ephesians 6, 14. That's not the only place where we're told to stand our ground. Let me give you a few more. James 4, 7. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee for you. What is it telling us? Stand your ground. Resist the devil. It doesn't say attack the devil. We're not called to attack the devil. We're not called to defeat the devil. Jesus already did that. We just need to resist. We need to stand our ground. Luke 18, 1. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and what? Never give up. 2 Corinthians 4, 1. Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. That is why... We never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Guys, the Bible is crystal clear on this. There's no wiggle room. And, and I think the reason scripture tells us this is we're going to want to give up. The Bible wouldn't tell us again and again and again, don't give up, if this was not a temptation. And so I want to challenge you. You're going to be tempted to give up. You're going to be kept tempted to drop it and walk away. You're going to be tempted to turn your back and give up and yield and give in. And I want to challenge you. I want to exhort you. I want to do everything I can to help you realize, make the decision now. I will not give up no matter what I'm faced with. I will not give up no matter what pressures I'm facing, no matter what adversity comes, no matter what persecution may rise up. I will not give up. I will stay true with the belt of truth around my waist, with the body armor of God's righteousness in place. I will stand my ground. The life of a Christ follower is about endurance. It's about persistence and the unwillingness to give up ground to stand firm no matter what we are facing. So what happens when we stand our ground? 
Okay, what happens when we stand our ground? The first thing is you can be confident, you can be assured that you will make it to the end. If you stand your ground, the Bible promises us that we will make it to the end. Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest, here's those words again, if we do not give up. I, I, I hope you sense a theme. <laughs> we can't give up, church. The second thing that happens when we stand our ground is you'll be an example to others. It's not just for you. We need to be an example to one another here at Trilogy. We need to encourage one another. We, we all have moments of weakness. We do. It's, it's human. And, and we can be a huge blessing to one another when someone else is struggling. We also could be an example to those outside of the church, to those looking for direction, to those looking for answers, to people filled with fear and uncertainty. Seeing a united church moving forward in the direction God is leading is what Jesus himself said would show many the truth. It would convince them that he is who he said he was. And the third thing that happens when you stand your ground, you bring glory to Jesus. You honor him. Hebrews 11 is the, the faith, hall of faith, is, is, it's often referred to. Hebrews 11 is filled with the stories of people who didn't give up. And they brought glory to God then, and they still do today, as we are encouraged and instructed by their lives and their faith in the face of struggle. Don't give up. Maybe someday somebody's going to write about your persistence, about your endurance, and it's going to be a, a, an, a, an encouragement to someone else. And I want to challenge you today, stop focusing on the physical. Stop focusing on what you see around you. We need to understand what is going on in the spiritual realm if we're going to stand our ground in the physical realm. We need to understand what's going on in the spiritual realm if we're going to stand our ground in the physical realm. Look at the chaos going on around us, okay? The news stories are everywhere. What's happening in the world today is not about President Trump. This isn't about Congress. This isn't about a virus. It isn't about different ideologies. This is about God revealing himself to our nation and to our world. It always has been and it always will be. Every circumstance we face, this is all a part of God revealing himself to mankind. And in the face of adversity, in the face of chaos, in the face of difficulty, in the face of persecution, God can be revealed if the church will stand its ground. Through everything you see happening around you, one thing we can be confident of, God is moving, Trilogy. He's, he's never idle. He's got a plan, a plan from the dawn of creation. Here's the thing, guys. God is not surprised by anything you see happening on the news. God is not surprised by anything you read about on the internet. He's not caught off guard. He's not wringing his hands. He is firmly in control. And this is where we look around us and we wonder, are you sure, God? Is this really something that you're, you're aware of? Because why aren't you stopping this? And that's why our focus can't be on the physical. Our focus has to be on the spiritual. There's a reason that the Bible tells us this in Hebrews 12, right after that chapter of faith that I just referenced. Here's what it says in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, 
Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let me stop there. So lean into that for a second. Uh, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses, people are watching us. People are checking you out. People are watching the church. People are watching self-proclaimed followers of Jesus because they want to see if you believe what you say you believe is true. And then it says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. In other words, you've got that junk in your life. We've all got something. And it says, when the chips are down, when people are watching, when when those life adverse circumstances are happening, it is time to trim the fat. It's time to get rid of that stuff. Let's look at verse two then. And let us run with endurance. In other words, don't give up. The race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Guys, we don't have spiritual endurance by being savvy. We don't have it by being smarter than the other guy, uh, not by being strong, not by having more resources. How do we have spiritual endurance? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Stay focused on him. Stay focused on the spiritual realm. We need to have spiritual eyes to see. Like we talked about last week, that God would open the eyes of our heart. Don't spend all your time reading the news feeds and social media. Don't let watching YouTube videos be your only source as you are trying to discover what is really happening and what to expect. Don't ever spend more time searching media for direction than you do with your face in God's word and your knees on the ground listening to him. That's our primary source. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be informed. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be seeing what's going on. Please don't hear that. But be wary of who you are listening to. Because the Bible is pretty clear that many people of faith will be deluded. They will will be deceived in the last days. There is misleading and there is dangerous information everywhere. And people say, well, I don't know who to believe. I don't know where to look. I don't know whose voice I should be listening to. Guys, yes, you do. The answer is look in the book and the answer is listen to him. God is the one. He is the one who should be leading you right now. We need the Holy Spirit to discern right from wrong. And we need to get ourselves in a position where we can hear God clearly. That's a big part of what fasting is intended to do to repent, clean out sin, remove obstacles, pray, listen, watch, read. It's time to depend on God and on his strength. When Paul was chained up in prison, he didn't try and talk his way out of it. He didn't try to argue his way out of it. He didn't call in an army to rescue him. He prayed. He worshiped. And the power of God fell in that prison and shook the foundations of that building. His chains fell off and he walked out a free man. Not because he was anything spectacular, but because he had surrendered to the God of the miraculous. We need to experience the miraculous power of God. And I want to be awed, not just by what God has done in the past. I want to be awed by what God is doing today, right now, in me, in our church, through us. Pray with me that the power of God will fall on Trilogy and on each one of our families. I don't know what the circumstances are going to look like as we move forward. 
Scripture tells us what things will be like, but not every situation we will face. And like I mentioned earlier, I'm feeling stronger and stronger in my spirit that it's going to be difficult. And as we face adversity, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. As we face adversity, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Don't focus on the problem. Focus on him. We need to pray. We need to worship. We need to read the word. And we need to stand our ground. Truth and God's righteousness will protect us from falling. Now understand this, church. You need to hear this. I truly believe we're in for some difficult times, but I am not scared. I am not living in fear. I am not afraid. I have incredible peace. My confidence is in Jesus. He is my rock. He is my fortress. He is my deliverer. He has already won the victory, and he has promised that the victory he won is mine to share with him. And the same is true for you. And it is most certainly true of his church. We know that there's a battle going on, but the Bible tells us that the battle isn't ours to fight. It's God's. Our position in this battle is to stand our ground rooted in Jesus. And Matthew 24, 13 tells us this, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Endurance, standing your ground, keep going. It's not just for you that you endure. It's not just for your benefit that you stand your ground. It's for your trilogy family. It's for your neighbors. It's for the people God has placed in your life. We stand our ground to shine a light into darkness. We need to pray that people will repent and will come to faith in Jesus. It seems like things have just gotten stuck in America for a long time. It's gotten stuck in the church. We as a nation have gotten entrenched, we've gotten complacent, we've gotten locked in. There's not movement happening. And something needs to shake loose for movement to take place spiritually. And I believe the shaking is here. God's church is going to be shaken. And we need to stand our ground. We need to pray that righteousness would triumph, that evil would be exposed and would fall, that God's plans would prevail. And I believe God is telling us this. Just watch and see what I am about to do. These are unique times to be alive, church. And I'm thrilled I get to walk through these times with each and every one of you. So let's pray, church. Let's seek him through fasting together. We need to drive our roots deep so we will stand strong through anything that may come. Let's increase our dependence on God and let's stand our ground. Let's pray. God, we as a church stand together and we stand in you. Our foundation is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Our foundation is in you establishing your church to move forward and to carry the gospel to every part of the earth and to every person. And God, we want to be a part of that mission. No matter what this world looks like around us, our mission does not change. And Lord, I pray that you would help us and that you would prepare us. And God, you would get our roots as deep as they can go, that we would stand our ground no matter what we will face. We don't know, but God, you've given us so many indicators in the Bible of what things are going to look like in the last days. And God, so many of those indicators are happening in the world around us. God, I pray that you would help us to stand strong in you and with one another. 
Holy Spirit, would you empower us? Let the the armor of God in, in Ephesians 6, let that be prevalent in our lives. Let it protect us. God, let it be solid and not, not just piecemeal. And God, I pray that you would be glorified through your church standing strong, standing in unity. God, I pray that you would move through us. God, let us be difference makers in these unique times in which we live. God, let us show your love to people around us. Let us wear that belt of truth and your righteousness with us wherever we go. And God, I pray that life change would follow us, that that shaking would take place in our culture, in in our society. And God, we would see people come to faith in you in unprecedented numbers. God, let there be a harvest like none of us have seen in our lifetime. And God, let us be used as a part of that. We thank you, Lord. Jesus, it's in your incredible name we pray. Amen. Amen.